Well, if you have a Bible this morning, find the book of First Kings. First Kings, we're going to be in chapter number 19, and today is our second week in our study on the topic of depression and anxiety in the Bible. And uh, we've been using the phrase, out of the cave, to talk about this. Uh, Six-week study, you know this, I know this, mental illness is a massive issue in our world today. It's a massive issue in our schools. It's a massive issue in our church. It is an issue that is all over the place. Uh, Every single one of us knows somebody who deals with depression or anxiety in some way or another. And in fact, many of us even in this place, this is your story. And you have been and gone to psychiatrists and counselors and take medicine. And this is a part of who you are when it comes to uh, when it comes to life. This is a reality. And we understand how difficult that can be to live that way. We also understand how difficult it can be to love somebody like that and to and to have to watch them in a way go through some of that stuff. And and so we are we're using the word depression, uh, but that's kind of a catch-all word for all sorts of things. It's the heaviness, it's the darkness, it's the emotional weight of the world. You get it, okay? Um, this is a real topic, and I just start, I wanted to start by saying this. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not any of those. Those are not my exp- area of expertise, and I do not pretend that they are, but I do just believe that we are at the very root. We are spiritual beings that have been created by God and in the image of God, and I believe we need spiritual answers to some of these things alongside medical stuff, uh, and I, I also just believe in the Bible, and I believe the Bible is the very word of God, and I believe the Bible holds in it powerful encouragement and help for every topic that we could ever face and everything we could ever deal with. Uh, and, and, and we saw that last week, if you were here, the topic of depression shows up in the Bible. It does. And uh, these few weeks, we are focusing on the life of a man named Elijah. Elijah is a Bible hero. Elijah is a miracle-working man of God. But at one point in his life, he finds himself sitting underneath a tree, wishing he was dead. And Elijah is going to find himself alone in a cave, a physical cave, but there's also symbolism here, even with this idea of a cave. The cave also represents a different kind of darkness, a different kind of cave. And, And this story of Elijah is so helpful to us, and it's helpful in two ways. First of all, we see a number of things in the life of Elijah. Uh, that lead him into this depression, into this cave that he's going to be in. And we're going to talk about those significantly. There's three of them. We're talking about those next week. And they can be warning signs and red flags for us that these things in our life can lead us in this direction very quickly. The second thing and the second reason why this story is so fantastic is because we see God working in Elijah's life in the midst of some in, in the midst of the darkest time he could ever imagine. The dude is suicidal and God is going to step in and work him work some things and work him out of it. And so we have this incredible path and we also have these warnings and all of that powerful story that we are studying over this six-week period, and I believe it's going to bring hope, encouragement, and help to so many of us 
who are dealing with this personally or even dealing with a loved one who is, okay? So this sounds like a great thing for me. That's enough an introduction. And so I want to ask you to stand with me all over this place. And uh, let's read our story for today all together. First, First Kings chapter number 19, starting in verse number one. This is the same passage of scripture we read last week. So if you were here, it's going to sound familiar. And we're going to read it next week as well, just so that you can be prepared for it, okay? So here's what it says. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Verse five. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked or some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. God, we just pause for a moment to invite you into this right here. This moment that we have together, let it be full of you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would encourage those that need that and that you would bring hope to someone today who feels like life is absolutely hopeless. I pray that your word would be so significant. Oh God, we love you and we need you and it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Uh, this, this week I was, reading, I was reading a bunch on the topic of physical pain. It was super fun. It was just like, I think this sounds like a good idea. I was reading about physical pain, yeah. Uh, pain is no fun. Nobody likes to be in pain. But listen to this. Pain, physical pain in your body is actually a complicated warning system that protects us from harm. And you maybe have never thought of it that way, but let me give you an example. You're walking at night or something and you stub your toe or step on a Lego or whatever it is that you do. Your peripheral nervous system then sends a signal to your brain which decides how much danger there actually is. And if, if your brain decides that this signal is worth paying attention to, the pain volume is cranked up until the problem is resolved, okay? Now, that was all complicated and kind of goofy, but let me, let me say it this way. Uh, over the years, I've had a handful of times in my life where I've had some pretty severe back issues and back pain. I remember one time back in like 2016, um, it was the middle of December, and all of a sudden, I just kind of tweaked my back. My back went nuts on me, and I found myself unable to even get up off the floor for a couple weeks, Going to the bathroom becomes an issue if you've ever been in that situation. Uh, and it is just this horrendous, horrendous 
uh, pain that you deal with, unable to do anything. But understand, the pain that I was feeling in my back was my brain actually telling me that something is not right. It's what that is. Your brain is saying something's not right, something needs to be addressed here. Now, I haven't experienced this personally, but I've heard people talk about it. How many of you ever, have ever had kidney stones? Don't raise your hand. Okay, we'll look at you funny. All right, I almost tricked you there. You've, if you had kidney stones, then, tip, then you know pain, right? I mean, that is, I've heard it's horrible. Well, you feel horrible pain, but understand it is your mind's way of telling you that something is not right in that area of your body. Your mind is telling you there's a rock stuck in the wrong spot here, and this is not good. Okay, you, you understand that, uh, but pain is your, is your body's way. And, and so if you actually talk to a medical doctor about this, they will tell, they don't say it like this, but they will tell you pain is actually all in your head. It's your brain telling you that something is wrong with your body. Now, uh, today I want to present to you an argument in a similar lane, and that the argument is this, that depression can be and is often a way that your mind is doing the same thing here. Okay, Depression can be a way that our mind tells us that something isn't right in our body or in the way that we are living. Okay, It's a way telling us specifically that something isn't right in our lifestyle. Now, hear me out on this. Pretty much every medical doctor, every psychiatrist um, would agree to this statement. Most often, depression is actually a disease of our lifestyle. Most often. Now, I'm not saying every single time. I'm not saying this is everyone's situation, and I certainly don't mean to downplay in any way people who have a legit chemical issue or people who've experienced serious trauma in their life. Like I, those are very real things. And some of us, this is your story, and I don't want you to feel weird about this conversation that we're having at all. Hear my heart on this. If that is you, I am praying for you. Uh, I hear you as a church family. We want to be here for you, but just understand this. Most depression and anxiety that we face as Americans, mental illness in America is actually not from that. Most of it is not. Most of it is actually an overflow from the way we are living. Now, I referenced this last week, but I'm going to just bring it up here quickly. Again, one doctor in a study that he wrote uh, laid out 12 causes of depression and you can read about this, 12 causes of depression. And out of the 12 causes of depression that this one doctor wrote out, only two of them were chemical in nature. Two of them. Two out of the 12, okay? And he went as far as saying the majority of depression and anxiety in America is brought on by the way that we live. The way that we live, okay? I, I think deep down we know this to be true, but let me hammer this point a little harder before we get to the Bible. The United Nations in their official statement on World Health Day 2017, said this. They said, we need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about the imbalances in the way that we are living and the way that we live. This is the United Nations in a formal official statement. We need to talk more about the imbalances in the way that we live. Stephen Elardi, in his book, The Depression Cure, 
uh, a pretty high-level book on this topic from a doctor, said, wrote this, we were never designed for the sedentary, socially isolated, sleep-deprived, poorly nourished, indoor, frenetic pace of American life. We were never designed for that. The word sedentary means inactive. It's where we get the word sedated. We were never designed for this inactive, isolated, sleep-deprived, poorly nourished, indoor, frenetic, okay, frantic pace of American life. Depression is often a disease of the lifestyle. Disease of the lifestyle. As we read, we read this last week, but I want to read it again quickly. This is, this is a quote from the book titled Out of the Cave. It's where we stole our title for our series. And a lot of the content that we're, we're preaching over the next few weeks comes from this, this one book, actually. It's fantastic. Buy it. It'll be super helpful. But let me read this right here. There's a strong chance that what we often call the symptoms of depression come from areas of our lives in need of our attention rather than the disease itself. Conditioning from our culture and choices about how we live contribute to a host of symptoms, illnesses, and conditions falling under the mental health umbrella of depression. Don't miss this line right here. The latest studies reveal that many of the daily choices we make may be setting us up to be depressed. Many of the choices that we are making every single day are setting us up to experience depression and anxiety as Americans. And as a part of this conversation that we're having, okay, there's a reality that is chemical imbalance. And some of us want to throw that out there as not a real thing. Okay, that's not a, that is a very real thing. Okay, trauma leads, horrendous trauma from some of our past have led to anxiety and mental illness today. That is a very real thing. But what I'm saying today and the argument that I want to make to you is that actually most of the depression and anxiety that happens and we see and experience in America actually comes from imbalances in the way that we are living, in the way that we're living, okay? Uh, And so this is what we're going to talk about today. Now, uh, we see this in our story with Elijah. Let me show you this. 1 Kings chapter 18 which is immediately before what we read. Elijah has this supernatural experience with God. Uh, we, we, we hit this last week pretty heavy, so I'm going to take 30 seconds on it right now. But God publicly shows up on Elijah's behalf. It is a supernatural moment. Uh, if you don't know that story, read 1 Corinthians chapter 18. It's fantastic what God does in that moment. But 1 Kings chapter 18 leads to 1 Kings chapter 19. And go ahead and put that next slide on the screen here. I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit this story. Uh, You can follow along kind of and just read in that way. But the queen of the land then, right after this supernatural chapter 18, the queen of the land sends a message to Elijah, the prophet of God, saying, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I haven't killed you. Is what, he, is what we have here. And the story says that Elijah runs for his life. He's scared out of his mind. God has miraculously come through for Elijah hours before this, but it's like Elijah has forgotten all of this. He ditches his servant and makes this journey by foot all by himself. He ends up underneath a tree, and the story says that he just prays that he might die. That's our story for today. I have had enough, Lord, 
take my life. Elijah is emotionally at the end. He is mentally all over the place. He no longer wants to be alive. Fear and anxiety have completely gripped him. He is overwhelmed by this, and he just wants his life to end. I have had enough, Lord. I just want to die. Take my life. Verse 5 The next part of the story, it says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Like you just wake up, and there's hot, steaming bread right by your head, and you're like, what? Uh, that's, there's jelly right there, and it uh, sounds so fun, okay? But he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. In two weeks, we're going to get to the next part about the cave. Okay, The first three weeks here is on this section right here. And it can be easy for us to read through this stuff right here and not take the time to actually think about what we just read. Uh, Elijah is God's chosen prophet Uh, His life is filled with supernatural things, miraculous things. At one point, Elijah prays for a dead girl, and she comes back to life. Another point, Elijah walks up to the Jordan River that's like raging and flooded, and he prays, and the Jordan River goes and he walks right through the middle of it. This is, this is our man Elijah. In chapter number 18, right before this, Elijah calls down fire from heaven and God sends this fire and lights this incredible thing in front of all of these people. God shows up on his behalf. It is a super, this is a miracle working man of God. Supernatural stuff follows him everywhere that he goes. And that is why an angel showing up in this story isn't surprising. This is what just happens in the life of Elijah. Crazy supernatural stuff happens, okay? Angels showing up in the story, not surprising. What the angel says and what the angel tells him and does is surprising. Let, Let me explain. Considering Elijah's circumstances, considering his role as God's chosen prophet, we'd expect this angel to show up and deliver a spiritual message and to say something like, Elijah, you are a man of God. Go in faith. And Elijah would be like, yeah, that's how the story should go. That's, how, that's what we would expect. Or like, God is with you. Go in boldness, Elijah. And Elijah would say, yes, let's go. Or you're a prophet and a miracle worker. Just have faith. But this is not what the angel does. It's not what the angel does. And it's, it, is a, it is a weird story in this Compared to the other things that we see in the Bible, what does the angel do? The angel focuses on Elijah's physical needs. Did you catch that when you read this? Of course you did. The angel shows up to depressed, suicidal Elijah, touches him on the shoulder and says, get up and eat. Get up and eat. And he looks around by his head. There's some bread. We have a miracle here with the bread showing up in the jar of water. But like the miracle even is meeting a physical need for his physical body. 
He eats it and he drinks it. He lays down again. Then the angel of the Lord comes back a second time. He says, get up and eat. Get up and eat. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Now listen to me here. Don't miss this. Perhaps our physical needs are more important than we even realize, especially when we're wandering in the fog of depression. Our physical needs. Our body's physical requirements may actually be more spiritual than we think or than we like to say. Elijah needed sleep and Elijah needed food and water and then more sleep and more food and water. Now write this down if you're taking notes right here. This is like, this is core to where we're at today and where we're on in, in this journey that we're going through. God's first remedy for Elijah's depression was physical rest and nourishment. Now that's interesting, isn't it? God's remedy. God's, the beginning of this process for God with Elijah is physical rest and nourishment for this man. Now, we know this stuff to be true. Uh, as parents, and, and many of us, you know, you've been parents, or you had little kids, or you have little kids, and you are constantly aware of the physical needs of your kids. Uh, I mean, you're, you're making sure they get to bed on time. They need to get a certain amount of rest, and we know that. For them to be healthy, they need to sleep. And, and we're making sure they're drinking water when they're out in the summer heat and stuff. And you're going out there and you're saying, here, drink this water and don't forget to put on your sunscreen. Why do we do that? We understand the physical needs that our children have and we try to vary their diet. We're forcing them to shove green beans down their throat and whatever else. And you're making them do that, limiting their intake of cookies. I mean, uh, parents, you typically don't like just, just grab the whole sleeve of Oreos, open the thing up and be like, see you in an hour, right? I mean, you don't do that, but parents, we do that, right? But as kids, you don't. You're like, two, you get two. And if I come back and there's not 17 in this row, you're in trouble. You get two. You know what I mean? This is the way, as parents, we understand all of that. But as adults who supposedly know better, we repeatedly push ourselves past all of these boundaries and then we wonder what's wrong with us. God's first remedy for Elijah's depression was physical rest and nourishment. Physical rest and nourishment. So, so let's get super practical here for a moment and talk about some things that may not seem very spiritual. But this angel leads Elijah to things that don't seem very spiritual either. Depression is often a disease we bring on ourselves, lifestyle-related. So allow me to give you a few lifestyle-related things, and I want you to sort of rate yourself on each of these and see and just ask yourself, how am I doing at this thing right here, okay? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put yourself? Let's start with what you're eating, your diet. Go ahead and put that next slide up for me. My eating habits consistently diminish my health, or my eating habits consistently enhance my health. Where would you put yourself on that right there? Because the things that you put into your body are more spiritual than you actually understand. 
and have a lot more to do with your mental health than you could really even catch. Now, doctors all say this stuff, but it's like we don't necessarily believe it. Go to the next one. What about, what about water? Now, that, for some of us, that's like, that's a weird one to say, but anyone who is Anyone who is into any sort of nutrition or body stuff understand the importance of hydration and drinking water and, and doing that in the right way, in the right amounts, in the right times and all of that. I never drink enough water throughout the day. I always drink enough water throughout the day. Some of you are like, does coffee count? Because I do really well if it coffee counts, okay? But like, where do you fit where do you fit into this when it comes to the water, the intake, okay? Go to the next one. What about sleep? Sleep. I never get enough sleep each night to feel rested. I always get enough sleep. Where would you rate yourself on this scale? Because I tell you what, your sleep and your ability to rest at night impacts your mental health in massive ways. In massive ways. For me personally, I love church. Sunday mornings are the highlight for me. Gathering together, it's a beautiful thing. And I love coming here almost all the time. But there are weeks, there are weeks when I sleep crummy on Saturday night and I don't want to get up and do anything. Everything related to the amount of rest that I'm able to get my emotional and my mental health connected to rest. Uh, what about our relationships? Go to the next one here for me. Relationships. I never connect in life-giving relationships with others. Or I always connect. Where are you? And when it comes to the people that are around you, bringing you life. Bringing you life. We're going to talk about this next week a little bit, the relationships that you have are met, but where would you put yourself on this? Okay, go to the next one. What about our hobbies? We're getting super spiritual here, aren't we? I mean, these things feel so funny, but, but like I never engage in activities that rejuvenate me, or I always do. Where, where do you put yourself on this scale of doing things that excite you and, and rejuvenate you as a person? Two more. Exercise. You knew this one was coming. Okay, I never engage in exercise. I always, okay, to keep my body healthy, where do you rate yourself on this scale? Where, do you, where, where would that be for you? The, how you exercise has a whole lot to do with your mental health. It really does. What you do in that area. Last one here, I, I wrote it this way, as rest and reflection, which is different for me than sleep. Rest and reflection, taking time taking time to sit down and just rest and reflect on the goodness of God and your life and everything you have. As you begin to reflect on the good and you begin to rest in that way, it does wonders for your mental health, okay? God's first remedy for Elijah's depression was physical rest and nourishment. Elijah needed sleep and nourishment before he could continue on his journey. Now, let me make this so clear, okay? This did not just fix all of Elijah's mental health issue in this moment. In fact, he is still going to end up in a cave, a nasty cave of darkness and depression in this whole thing. But understand, here's where we're going with this today as we're looking at it more of a process, is God's first remedy here was to say, sleep and eat. Sleep and eat. You need rest and nourishment here. 
okay? Before Elijah could continue on with his path of healing and restoration, he needed to be strengthened by sleep and nourishment. And we're going to see this, that this, this is a process, okay? It's a combination of us trusting God and allowing God to work in the things we cannot control and us beginning to work hard in the things that we can. And if you want to learn to move past this depression and anxiety and mental health stuff that many of us are facing, okay, and, I, and I'm making this so simplistic here for some of us who have serious trauma and all this stuff, and I understand that, and I don't mean to, okay, but it, it, is, it is this combination of us working and doing the things we can control and allowing God and giving God the things we cannot, and that's what we're going to see happen over the next few weeks. There's this beautiful prayer from this theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr. It's, it's most often known as a serenity prayer. Maybe you've heard it before. Let me read this to you. It says this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a, at a time, Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, but the courage to change the things I can't. Hear that? The courage to change the things that I can. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see God show himself in the story of Elijah in these supernatural ways as God is going to lead him out of this cave and into a purpose that is bigger than he ever could imagine. Supernatural work, but I also believe, and I believe God wants to do that for you as well, by the way that he has supernatural things for you in this process, okay? But I also believe that this is a part, part of this is for us the courage to do the things that we can in this way. Music team, will you please come? Now, a quick review, because this was a little bit all over the place and it was like we climbed a mountain together and I want to take you back here for a two-minute little thing to put this all together, okay? In fact, if you slept through the whole first thing, this is all you need right here is this two minutes. And some of you are like, why didn't we just do that the first time? We could be home already. Depression is most often a disease of the lifestyle, okay? And I do not mean to downplay chemical imbalance and I do not need to downplay trauma, in our past, those are real. But most often, psychiatrists, medical counsel, counselors agree. Depression and anxiety is most often in America a lifestyle issue. A lifestyle issue. And for many of us here today, the depression and anxiety that you are experiencing, it's your mind telling you that something is out of balance in your life. We were never designed for the sedentary, socially isolated, sleep-deprived, poorly nourished, indoor, frenetic pace of modern American life. You were not designed to live that way. 
Elijah is suicidal, sitting under a tree, and an angel of the Lord shows up to him and tells him, doesn't say, go walk in the power of God. The angel tells Elijah to rest and eat. God's first remedy for Elijah's depression was physical rest and nourishment. And as we journey together, learning about this topic, reading this scripturally, I believe God wants us to start by simply reflecting on our own lives and our, on our own bodies. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But you know this, you get to choose how you are going to live, what you're going to put in, how you're going to rest, all of these things you have the power to choose and control. And doctor-wise, they would say these things all contribute to the mental health that is lacking in America. And Bible-wise, we see this as the first step of God. And the question I would present to you today is simply what areas need to change in your life? Sleep, what you eat, relationships, exercise, the list goes on and on. Please stand with me all over this place. God, I pray that even in this moment right here, we would just be so fully aware of some of the things that are in our control. God, depression and anxiety can feel like we are so out of control. But I pray that even in this moment, we would understand and we would see and that we would change some of the imbalances in our lifestyle and that this would begin our journey. God, I also pray right now for those in this place who have serious and very real trauma in their past. And that has led to counselors and psychiatrists and medicine and a pretty nasty journey. God, we don't take that lightly. We don't just tell people with PTSD to suck it up. God, but we truly, we truly do just pray that you would let that person know that you are right there beside them. And that God, the right things would be put in the right way, in the right place to get the help that they need. We pray for chemical and balance stuff and medicine and all of that. We, we, we just pray for those who deeply struggle. But God, we also just pray that you would help us to control the things that we can control. We thank you, God, for what you are saying to us even today. And it's in your name.